the house of mercy on the water's edge was a man who met the Savior, so the gospel says. came from all around, from near and from far, just to sit here at the house of mercy, waiting for the waters to stir, just to sit here at the house of mercy, Palm Sunday is only kind of sleight of hand. That was really good for making it up on the spot. Well, you know, that's just good. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's where I kind of, some people say that's where I shine. It's when I deliberately try to be meaningful is when things get confusing for me. I think you can all attest to that. Um, look, we had her back, so uh, so glad to have you back. We missed you so much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's good to be back. I missed you all too. Although, I mean, it was nice being away. Good. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Um, let's uh, make some announcements here. Welcome to everybody. Glad you all are out here and you're, all the people who are listening and viewing. Glad to have them. This is uh, this is Holy Week. Starting out right now. Yeah, it's kind of kind of a big deal in the church here, Holy mm-hmm. Week. Um, yeah. And we have a lot going on. Thursday, there's a a Monday Thursday service here. Bethlehem will be leading that, but you're welcome to come. What time is that? That's at 6.30. At 6.30. Mm-hmm. And then Good Friday, Bethlehem has a service at noon. Noon, yeah. And then we have our Good Friday Stations of the Cross service at 7. That's going to be at 7, at 6.30. It's kind of going to be a preview so you can come and see the art before um, participating in its liturgical use. And the art this year is uh, about spiritual practice. Yeah, embodying the, embodying the stations. There's some interactive elements in that. There's uh, uh, kneelers, and then there's uh, candles to light. Um, yeah, I think there's also some flames at some of them. I know. Um, so it'll be interesting. Yeah, it'll be physical. It'll, it will be. Yeah. Um, that reminds me of another thing that I've been meaning to say, and I think this is the time to do it. That um, one of the reasons I really wanted to make the pews further apart. I mean, besides so I could fit between them, um, was that we could use the kneelers. Now, do you ever checked out these kneelers? You can unfold them and um, kneel on them. Some, I know you might not come from a kneeling tradition, but it, uh, it's very few times during the week, I bet, you kneel. And so this is a posture to take that kind of will change um, maybe you know, how you're feeling, what you're thinking, embody the practice. Times you could kneel would be like, during any prayer, um, when you first show up, uh, before or after you take communion are good times to kneel. Um, yeah. And could you just kneel anytime you wanted? Oh, absolutely, yeah. You could kneel the whole whole service. Wow. 
As a matter of fact, there is prizes if you, if you can. So, you know, we'll be watching. That's a good reminder because yeah. I forget that the kneelers are there. I know, they're there. Well, we can't. We don't have them up here, That's but yeah. we could turn around and kneel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, we'll move on from that. But um, please, uh, it'll make me happy if I see you kneel. The one thing we didn't mention about Holy Week yet is... Easter Sunday. Yeah. Yeah, that's the big one. Yeah, that is going to be fantastic. It's going to be at a regular time, 4.30. There's going to be, um, you know, champagne and bubbly drinks and uh, appetizers. And uh, uh, I hear Jesus is rising from the dead. So... And the Mississippi Hot Club, right? And the Mississippi Hot Club is going to be fantastic. Fantastic music. Raucous, good time. Yeah, like always. And boy, we can't go now because we have so uh, many amazing guests here today. Uh, You know, we've been doing this thing, asking people to uh, give us, in this year's spiritual practice, to share with us. We're recovering the testimony, uh, asking people to come up and share their spiritual practice. And... um, we are so lucky that uh, Amber Mulberry is going to share with us today her spiritual journey, her testimony. Um, yeah, it's going to be fantastic. And then we also have a very special uh, guest artist, which is Banked, right? Where are you? Oh, there you are. Here he is. Yeah, back there. So it's going to be fantastic. I'm looking forward to it very much. Yeah. One last reminder. Um, what is it? Oh, yeah. Do you, in the back, there's a blackboard on the uh, kiosk back there. And just a reminder that you can look at that, and it tells you, if you're a youngster, who's teaching your class, what, what class, where your class is meeting, and uh, all that good stuff. So be sure and check that um, each week so you know where to go, what to do. This is the House of Mercy, and welcome to it. Hosanna, loud Hosanna, the little children sing. Through pillared court and temple, the lovely anthem rang to Join me in the prayer of invocation. 
God of mercy and justice and loving kindness and passion, help us pay attention to life and death and other people and everything that surrounds us now and throughout this holy week, where we remember Jesus making his way to death and deathlessness. Help us look at it soberly and playfully and from all sides. Amen. The peace of Christ be with you. Let's pass the peace. It's my pleasure to introduce to you our guest artist today. I'm very excited to hear him sing from what I heard in the sound check. It was, this microphone will finally get used by a singer. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Bank Mulberry. Hello. 
our youngsters and our elder youngsters what they would like to pray for. So today I invite you to join me in the prayers of community 
as written by our youngsters. Let's pray. God of peace and love, God of nonviolence, we pray that there will be no more war. God, in your mercy. God of mercy, we pray for all of those who are trapped in a machine of evil, who are villainized by the world. God, in your mercy. Help us to see the refugee, to help them and comfort them. Help us to give up some so that those with very little can have more. God, in your mercy. Creator and lover of creation, thank you for grass and frog singing. We pray for green cities, and we pray for the animals who are losing their homes due to global warming. God, in your mercy. God of wisdom and new life, help us learn. Help us do well in school, to study well for our tests. We pray for the rest of the school year being enjoyable for everyone. God, in your mercy. God of mercy, we pray for ourselves, that we could see the good in ourselves. And help us to love each other, to be kind and patient, to notice others and listen to them. God, in your mercy. Help us and our family members to be healthy and safe. We pray that you won't let babies die. We pray for all the good people at the House of Mercy that health will maintain. God, in your mercy. We pray that our church has enough funds to serve for many more years. God, in your mercy. God of mercy, we are grateful. Grateful for family and friends, for spring break, going to the Children's Museum, birthday brownies, movies, and restaurants. Thank you for all the beauty, all that makes life worth living. We pray that you will hear us now as we offer our gratitude, our prayers, and our confessions as we pause for silence. You love us and forgive us all. You pour out your mercy on this world. Thank you. Amen. Lift every voice and sing till earth and heaven ring. Ring with the Rejoicing, rock. 
sing a song full of the faith that the dark past has taught us. Sing a song full of the hope that the present has brought us. Facing the reading for this evening is Matthew 22 verses 34 through 40. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them and one of them asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him, "You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment." 
and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. The word of the Lord. In light of all the sin I've seen, my sister, some say my soul can't be clean. In spite of all, all, all the dirt I've done, my brothers, I have been saved by the sun. And I'm redeemed, testify. Oh, I am redeemed, testify. By the blood of the Nazarene. I am redeemed, testify. So in first grade, I got to start piano lessons. I remember I was very excited about this. My older brother, who I thought was really cool, had been playing for two years and was really good for a third grader. And my friend Krista was also starting lessons with me. She could already play a couple of songs like Hot Cross Buns. And I loved Krista. She was my best friend, but I was very jealous of this. So with great anticipation, I started lessons. I still remember my first lesson where my teacher, Miss Mary, taught me how to find middle C and showed me what this note looked like on the page I was to practice through the week. The first song consisted of three notes, C, D, E. It seemed easy. It was no hot cross buns, but at least it was a start. That evening after supper, I eagerly sat down for my 30 minutes of practice. I opened up my brand new book, complete with illustrations of cute kittens and puppies and kids, and stared at the keyboard. Which note was middle C, and which hand did I even start with? The notes on the page all of a sudden looked like an alien script that made absolutely no sense to me. I fumbled around for a few minutes, hoping my new knowledge would come back to me, but it didn't. My dad, who knew music, came in eventually to help me and showed me the notes and what I was supposed to do. He made it look easy, but as soon as I tried, I couldn't make my fingers move like they should. After a few minutes of this, in which both of us got increasingly angry and frustrated with each other, my brother came in to help. He too tried to show me what to do, saying over and over how easy it was, but this just made me more angry, confused, and finally defeated. After much yelling and tears, I eventually pounded out the three notes of the song in about the progression they were supposed to be in. And that was the end of my first piano practice. My dreams of sitting serenely at a piano playing beautiful music or even hot cross buns were dashed. Piano was confusing and hard, and it was certainly not fun. For three years, I continued to take piano lessons, and I would like to say I persevered and got really good but I didn't. Practice was always a chore and hard. I hoped my mom would forget to tell me to practice, and sometimes she would, although looking back, I realized that often she probably just didn't want to go through the fight or the pain she would have to endure for 30 minutes. I got very good at having to avoid to try during practices, too. Before I started practice, I would have to set a timer on the oven in the kitchen, 
And if my mom was upstairs or in the laundry room, I would sneak into the kitchen and shave off five or if I was bold, about 10 minutes from that timer. More often than not, I would just sit there staring at the page doing nothing, willing the time to go. And those stupid illustrations of kittens, puppies, and kids who seemed to mock me with their stupid smiles just stared right back at me. If I sat there too long, though, my mom would often yell from another part of the house asking why she didn't hear anything. However, I always had a good answer for this, which was doing my theory. This consisted of doing a couple of pages a week and writing answers like note names down in a, on a page in a book. With all the theory I was supposedly doing, I should have been able to finish the whole book in about a week, but as it was, I was most of the time finishing it on the way to piano lessons in the car. An impending recital would spur me on to a feverish fit of practice about a week before, but one week of practice did not make up for months of avoiding it. Recitals would come, and my strategy for trying to ha hide my lack of competency would be to play as fast and as loud as I could. Maybe I thought if I seemed confident, it would fool others. It didn't work. And in the car ride home, after a long lecture from my embarrassed parents, I would vow to do better. And for the next week, I, I would keep that promise. But then the old habits would start in again, and I would once again find myself biding my time on that piano bench, hands at my side, staring at those stupid kittens and puppies. I think back on all those years of practice, mostly with fascination, especially the times I just sat there doing nothing. I knew come lesson time, I would feel ashamed attempting to play my lesson for the week for my kind teacher when it was very evident I barely practiced. And yet I still continued to sit and stare and hope that any minute that timer would go off. I mean, how hard would it have been if I actually even somewhat tried? But I didn't. It may come to a surprise to you, and it certainly does to me, that overall I'm thankful I did take piano lessons. I can play, just not well. I sometimes even sit down at a piano just for me and enjoy the challenge of playing a song. Also, I learned something about humility, talent, and perseverance, or in my case, the lack of talent and perseverance. As a middle school teacher, sometimes my students will sit and stare at a reading or an assignment in front of them. I'm able to have more empathy toward them, realizing that what I'm seeing is not laziness, but often feeling inadequate to do the difficult task in front of them. This helps me to have more patience and understanding with them and be able to come alongside them and help in, a, in part by recognizing that what I see as easy, they may not. Piano practice, though, was actually not the most boring part of my week. That happened Sunday mornings. I grew up in Cambridge, Minnesota, attending the First Baptist Church there, and I loved that church. I loved that old building that looked like a castle and had secret rooms that were perfect for hiding during church lock-ins and at the end of potlucks when parents were still talking. I enjoyed Sunday school and Wednesday nights where I heard crazy fun stories. I was also taught about a God who loved me and forgave me and wanted me to be his friend. But most of all, I loved the people there, because I felt like they loved me. There were people who cared about me and loved me just for being me, even when I was a surly teen. Unfortunately, though, all this love did not help me in Sunday services. 
For one hour every Sunday, I sat in one of those uncomfortable pews wearing uncomfortable clothes and trying the best I could to listen to terrible organ music, long prayers and pointless sermons that try as I might, I could not track with for more than two minutes. There were a few Sundays though that I was reprieved from this incredible boredom. One Sunday, my brother nudged me and pointed to the, um, an ant that was crawling in a lady's hair in front of us. We watched that ant as it struggled through her gray curls, sometimes with bated breath because it looked like it was just about to fall, and other times with giggles as it would scurry around. On another Sunday, I sat in the pew full of jealousy as the cute blonde Johnson girls got up to sing the special music for the service. On this fateful morning, after they sang their first few notes, a bat started flying around the sanctuary, swooping just above our heads, which caused many involuntary exclamations drowning out their singing, and I was elated. But the best Sunday was one in which I got to sit next to my grandma. My grandma had a faith that I admired and wanted. Throughout prayers and sermons, my grandma would frequently say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord Jesus, which made it clear to me that she not only paid attention during the prayers and sermon, she actually was enthusiastic about what was said. It was always a treat to sit next to my grandma because of this. But one Sunday, she must have sensed how very bored I was and slipped me a butter rum lifesaver. I had never had one before, and it was the best thing I'd ever tasted. I savored the creamy, sweet deliciousness, that lightsaver, um, making it last to the very end of the service. If I was to say what the peace of Christ tasted like, it would be a butter rum lifesaver. Those few services, though, that were saved thanks to an ant, a bat, and a butter rum lifesaver did not make up for all the other Sundays where I felt, sat feeling a mixture of guilt because a good Christian should enjoy going to church or at the very least be able to pay attention for more than two minutes, and anger because many of my friends got to at least draw during the service, but I had to just sit there, eyes glazing over. I also struggled with other areas that good Christians were supposed to do. From an early age, I identified as Christian. My parents, my grandparents, my great-grandparents were such. A good Christian loves God. That I could, I guess, kind of do. And they also pray and read the Bible and go to church. I wasn't exactly sure why, it was just so. Much like scouting badges, I looked at those spiritual practices as something I just needed to do, maybe for God to check the box or maybe to be a better Christian, whatever that was. I would attempt to pray every night and other times in the day, but more often than not, it ended up like my piano practices. I would start with good intentions and then just end up sitting there staring at the ceiling. Bible reading was a similar experience. I tried a few times to read through the Bible. Genesis was fun and crazy and sometimes very X-rated. If you've ever read through Genesis, there were parts that I'm like, my parents are allowing me to read this. Do they know what's in this? Exodus was a trip. Literally. Ah, got it. Read the Bible, kids. It's, it's a fun one. But then came Leviticus, and then Numbers. And one year, I made it all the way to Lamentations, but I just couldn't deal with the boredom anymore. So I gave up feeling like a failure and questioning my very salvation. 
I had moments of feeling God's peace and his love, but more often than not, I felt like I secretly wasn't a good Christian because those moments were fleeting, and I didn't have the discipline to practice my faith with any kind of fidelity. I grew up and I attended Bethel College. I fell in love with my now husband, Sam, and went to the House of Mercy for the first time in 1999. There, I heard music I loved and a sermon that not only didn't bore me, but interested me. I still struggled with some of the other things I know I should have been doing. Some might call them spiritual practices. Prayer was rarely something I wanted to do, but something I felt like I should do. And Bible reading became fascinating in a group study, but on my own, not as much. I started teaching Sunday school at House of Mercy and eventually started teaching the elder youngsters, which has been a source of incredible joy and connection in my life. Um, although I did miss sitting into, uh, at the sermons, which my 10-year-old self would be amazed at this change. I also organized the catechism class, which was super fun. Those of you who know the teens of this church know how unique and fun and funny and creative they are. I feel incredibly blessed to have known um, the ones that have gone through this catechism class. Reverend Russell would often teach the class and I would facilitate the games and the conversation. During one of these classes, our topic was on why we go to church. Russell asked the kids why they went to church and the kids answered to see friends, to learn some things, to know how to live our lives, and the most common answer was because our parents make us. And at the time, my answers were basically these as well, except maybe the parent thing, although I could argue that maybe it was the hidden guilt that I had if my parents knew I wasn't attending a church. We then read Matthew 22, 36-39, where someone asked Jesus, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. Classic. So what is the point of going to church? Russell argued that it is to practice this love, to practice loving each other, loving God. This was a revelation to me. As I started to rethink why I continue to attend church or pray or read the Bible, what if spiritual practices were anything to help me love others more? What if spiritual practices were anything that helped me realize and feel God's love and radical mercy? I'm a seventh grade uh, teacher and I truly love it. And most of the times I love my students, but sometimes I really don't and it's hard. When I sit in this sacred place on Sundays, I sometimes feel God's love, and I can think about those people in my life that can sometimes be very hard to love. Processing through my issues of shame and guilt, feeling God's radical mercy and love helps me get through my week and extend more love and mercy towards others. I still struggle with feelings of failure and shame and guilt when it comes to these ideas of spiritual practice. Like when we have the two minutes of quiet prayer in this place, my confession is sometimes I realize at the end, in those two minutes, my mind has gone on to many other things like my to-do lists and what I have to do the next day. But I'm trying to grant myself some mercy and love and feel God's mercy and love. 
And by doing so, then I can better love others. On this Sunday before Easter, let's remember together Jesus' love and radical mercy for us by breaking the bread and drinking the cup in this sacred space. And then let's try and continue to practice this radical love and mercy toward each other and all the others we encounter in this Holy Week. Yeah.